Yes, welcome you guys. Hey, so glad that you're with us. I know this is like the third time I've been up talking in front of you, but if you haven't met me yet or I haven't met you yet, uh, my name is Josh. I'm the pastor of this Young Adults community. Um, and hey, genuinely, I would really, really love to meet you guys. Um, I know I've met many of you guys. I've probably asked at least like a dozen of you your names probably like three times. So if you will indulge me to ask one more time, please come uh, and say hello. I would love, love, love to get to know you guys a little bit. Um, hey, we're going to be jumping back in to our sermon series through Jude. Just by way of reminder, if you were not here last week, um, man, go find it on Spotify or YouTube. Not, not because it was a particularly good message, but because um, the Lord uh, really put a word on my heart, on our hearts, for even what he's doing in our community in this time, right? It was this word on digging new wells together. And so if you call this community a space where you are building community and friendships, um, I'd encourage you, go, go give it a listen, because that's where we believe the Lord uh, is taking us. Hey, before I jump in as well to um, where we're going tonight, um, every time uh, I get to worship with kind of like different cultures or fields or even just kind of different, different styles, I'm, I'm reminded of the breadth of the kingdom of God in the sense that like, y'all, those songs you're singing, some of you might not even have known some of them, but like that song, You Won't Relent, that took me back to my uh, my like first six weeks of following Jesus, rolling in my 1993 Subaru Legacy with 350,000 miles, blaring it, just like weeping before the Lord. So there is, there is so much depth and breadth in the kingdom of God, and Jesus uh, wants to pull us into that, right? There, the world is big and wide, so we love you guys. Thank you, thank you. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Jude with me. Uh, we are going to be continuing on. We're going to be in Jude 5, 6, and 7. By way of reminder, Jude is the second to last book in the Bible. So if you've hit Revelation, you've gone too far. But if you're anything else, keep on chugging. And before we start tonight, um, if you even want to throw up, can we throw up that I want to remind you? Now I want to remind you. We're going to read the text here together in a moment. Um, but the very first words are, now I want to remind you, right? If we remember where Jude has been taking us over the last handful of weeks, it's been a number of weeks, Jude is writing to a group of people who have found themselves in a struggle and in a wrestle for the purity of the faith and for the purity of their walks with the Lord. In verse 3, it says, hi, uh, Jude is writing, says, I wanted to write to you a letter encouraging us in our common salvation. He said, but I found it necessary to write to you urging you to contend for the faith, right? To fight, to lean in, to contend for the faith. Last time we, pre or Ed, Pastor Eddie preached the week after that, um, he talked about how they were these false teachers who were perverting the grace of God into sensuality and denying their only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Intense, right? Jude is an intense epistle. It's an intense book. And frankly, the verses we're going to be reading are a little intense. But before we read them, the opening lines are, now I want to remind you, remind. Before we even read this, I want you to hear the tone of Jude. Reminding is what a dad does to his son, right? Reminding is what I do to Eden when time and time again she tries to play with someone's phone. We don't want her to play with their phone. We say, please don't play. Or time and time again, right, she walks out of the house and she is running up to the street and say, no, stop, right? A dad reminds the tone of this that we're about to read is a 
loving reminder from a spiritual father who cares incredibly deeply about his spiritual children. And so as we read this, I want to remind, remind, good father writing to his children. Let's read together. This is verse 5. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Oof, thanks be to God. We take, our, we take the candy and the, and the carbs and we take the veggies too, y'all. This might be a veggie kind of night. Let's pray. Let's ask Jesus for his word and for his discernment and for his grace tonight. King Jesus, we come before you uh, like little children who don't know the way to go. We come before you, Lord, and um, my confession, uh, just put the words of Solomon on my lips in 1 Kings where he says, I'm, I'm a child. I don't know how to go out and I don't know how to come in. Would you give us wisdom? Would you teach us, Lord? We read texts like this and they stir up all kinds of emotion in our hearts, but we look to you, Jesus, knowing that we have one Lord and one master and one teacher and one father, and we ask that you would come and you would lead us because we are in this with you, Jesus. We love you and we trust you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of young adults said. Amen and amen. Now, if you are like me or like most 21st century Christians, you read stories like this or accounts like this, and like the tone of it is like, okay, this is a little confusing and kind of dark, and there's words like judgment and fire and destruction, and I don't know what's happening. I don't even know what's happening in these stories. Why are we talking about this, right? Because this is the word of the Lord for us, but there's something you have to remember. Jude was not written in the same cultural context that we are written in. Jude doesn't have the same worldview that many of us have. And in order for us to understand what's happening, we even need a little bit of a refresher sort of on Jude's worldview, right? Jude was a Jew. He was in the, uh, the second temple period um, right before or around when Jesus came, right? There was a vibrant cultural life that was happening in uh, Israel, Palestine, centering around the temple. And around these, there were stories that circulated and sifted. And these three that we see were, were common, and they were placed together a lot, right? So if you're reading through ancient Jewish texts, many times you'll read and someone will throw out an example to say, like God brought judgment upon the people of Israel, and like he brought judgment upon the angels, and like he brought judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And what these things do is they, they, they paint a picture for us about the way that God contends. We've talked about how we contend. We've talked about how we're faithful. But tonight we're seeing what does it look like when God himself steps in and acts in the world around us in ways that we sometimes don't like. I also want to acknowledge the tension in the room because we read a story like this and, and all, uh, we're confronted. They confront me. Right, because we read about, okay, the people of Israel who were destroyed in the wilderness, what's going on? We read about the angels, right, who got bound in gloomy darkness. We read about fire and destruction, what is happening? The, the thing with all of these stories is they, they confront us with the brutal, with the ugly. They confront us with the shameful. 
It's like Deuteronomy 30, right, when, uh, when Moses is speaking, the Lord through him says, See, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. In this moment, we see death. We see cursing. We see what does it look like when people and entities who are given free will turn their backs on the God and the maker of life. And it's, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's hard. It's challenging. Some of you walk in here tonight, right, and I read a passage like uh, where he's talking about Jesus who delivered people out of the land of Egypt then destroyed those who didn't believe. You're like, wait a second. <laughs> like I thought Jesus was the love guy, right? I thought Jesus was kind and like I, we were literally just praying about how he's coming and saying he's not going to like snuff out a smoldering wick. Like what's going on in this passage? I want to name the tension because usually when we speak about judgment, when we speak about the Lord acting against sin or sinful humanity, um, we contend to an extreme, right? If we're looking at the world around us, like people are either like super obsessed with judgment or we don't talk about it at all, right? On the one hand, right, you've got people picketing like outside of churches saying that God hates gay people, like bring judgment. That's like, whoa, that's crazy. And on the other hand, we have only things like, like we, we, never, we never even identify it and never speak about it. The invitation for us tonight is to come into the middle and hold these things in tension. Um, are there any hikers in the room? Yes, a couple of hikers. So um, I grew up hiking 14ers, hiking big mountains. Um, and one of these things that I've experienced, right, like if you're from like the lowlands, then you don't understand how intense the Colorado sun is, right? How many of you guys moved here and you're like, I need to buy some sunglasses? Yes, it's like you need sunglasses to see. But I, I remember experiencing this, this interesting moment when I was hiking a mountain, and this was, this was pretty common, right? You get up really, really high, um, and you're like looking around and like, like you're just exhausted and you're hiking and you're hiking. And then like I turn around and, and like I, I take my sunglasses off and the sun is so bright and sharp, it's like, ah, oh, like, like I can't see. But once my eyes adjust to the light, right, it reveals this like beautiful mountain landscape. For us tonight, the vision is Jesus. Do we want to know him for who he truly is? These judgment narratives and these judgment passages, initially, they're like a little bit of harsh light in our eyes. But if we can allow our eyes and our hearts to adjust to what's happening in and through the text, I believe that we're going to see Jesus for who he truly is tonight. And that is our hope. That is our heart. And what I want to um, spend the night convincing you of is this next statement. The Lord's judgment is a display of the Lord's love. The Lord's judgment is a display of the Lord's love. Bear with me till the end. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, I went to school right here in Colorado Springs. I grew up here. I went to elementary school. I actually met my wife in elementary school. Praise God for Monument Academy. We're a success story. But in fifth grade, um, I had a, a kind of interesting group of friends. And I had one friend who was um, really intelligent in many ways, like math, science, school. He was incredibly intelligent. But he... I, I think probably because he was so intelligent in this sense, he lacked some intelligence in other senses. You know, the kind of people I'm talking about, you're like, you are so smart. How are you so dumb? What is happening? Right? But in this moment, okay, we're sitting in math class, and my friend, he, so he would kind of like get in his own little world, and one of these days that he was getting in his own little world, he took an eraser, and he um, drew like, it was like a little spaceship, and then he took a paper clip and stuck it on the end. And he was flying it around and doing his thing. He was fifth grade, like pre-adolescent boy, loving life. 
you go. Um, and he's, he's having his own little narrative, and he's like, all right, we're exploring, and we're doing things. And I'm kind of sitting there, and I'm like, okay, you do you. That's great. You do you. And then there's this moment where he kind of scooches up to the wall, right, and he's in the back. And he says, and now for the greatest adventure of all. And he takes that paperclip into the only cave-like orifice he can see, which is the light socket. And he sticks the paperclip in, and psh, right? And all of the power goes out in like half the school, and it's chaos and it's madness. Um, it was this beautiful moment of looking and saying, I just saw an example of someone experiencing the consequences for their actions, <laughs> right? Have you ever done anything like this? Consequences for your actions. Taking this back to judgment, that's a hard left. Um, the Lord's judgment sometimes releases us to experience the consequences of our actions. Let's take a second, even look at that first narrative that Jude uses. He says, the people of Israel, right, whom Jesus redeemed and saved out of Egypt, says afterwards destroyed those who didn't believe. For those of us who maybe aren't familiar with this story, right, Israel was a people living in the land of Egypt. They were slaves in bondage for 400 years. Through his mighty hand and outstretched arm, God delivered them out of the land of Egypt in order to make them a people who could host his presence. He lived with them. He had a tabernacle, the tent. It was the, the very presence of God moved into the neighborhood. And what we see in the story of Israel are these beautiful, breathtaking moments of like, praise be to the Lord our God, right? Who throws horse and rider into the sea as they're looking at God delivering them through the Red Sea and destroying the Egyptian army. But then these moments are almost always like contrasted with like a, a literal verse later. They're in the wilderness and they're like, we're thirsty. You brought us out here to kill us. Let's go back to Egypt. And then like you fast forward, like we're hungry. You brought us out here to kill us. Let's go back to Egypt. And then fast forward a little bit more, right? And they finally get to the land of promise and they go in and they, there's giants in the land. And they say, there's giants. They're going to kill us. Let's go back to Egypt. And in each of these moments, we see the Lord dis show displays of great patience, but also displays of release. There are moments, right, whether it's serpents or the, 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 um, the earth opens up beneath them. There are moments where, um, where death comes to these individuals. What I want us to see in this is that their destruction is not a vindictive punishment from an out-of-sorts divine monarch. God isn't in a bad mood and he's just like, you're gone. But rather the natural end of those who have time and time and time again rejected life himself. Because the thing about the kingdom of God is that when God is life and he's the king and he's coming close to us, to be in connection with God is to be alive. And when we reject God, we're not just rejecting his rule and reign in our lives, we're actually rejecting life. And so what we're seeing here, right, the Lord's judgment is to release not because he's angry or mad, but because he's not always going to just hold you to him. C.S. Lewis has this quote where he says, there are only two kinds of people in the world, or in the end. He says, those who say to God, thy will be done, who look to God and say, I will do what you want, and those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. God has dignified us with the freedom of choice. And ultimately, in the end, he's going to give us 
that freedom. If you look at scriptures as a narrative flow, we see this all over the place in scriptures, right? In the book of Judges, we see Samson, who God blesses with strength and a calling and a mandate on his life, through who, his, or who through his sexual appetites ended up having his eyes gouged out, his strength stolen, and his people being oppressed. We see Solomon, who I just talked about, right, whose heart turns to God in his old age, and the kingdom is ripped away from him and, as, and his children and his descendants. We see Judas Iscariot, right, who walked with Jesus hand in hand, betrayed him, and the end result of his actions, right, was for him to, to fall headlong into a field and have his body split open. It's intense. The end result of those who end up not choosing life is death, not because God is vindictive, but because that's the only place that we can go. I want us to see even John 3. This is like the love verse, right? Can you throw it up on screen for me? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Here it is. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Yeah, we'll, we'll finish there. Those who disbelieve are condemned not because God demands petty and egotistical allegiance, but because God is life. And to rebel against life is to choose death. It is the judgment of the Lord sometimes to release us. And in truth, right, we're talking all about how judgment and love go together somehow hand in hand. Love looks like release because love is never manipulation. Right? I think about, uh, about dads that I know, dads in the room even, um, people who have walked faithfully as fathers and as, their par- as parents of their family. Um, And sometimes, right, you'll see a moment where um, children, they don't always do what their parents want them to do. Some of you say amen, right? (laughs) Like, I'm in this room and I'm like, I'm not doing that. Um, Sometimes a dad has to release their child. Because if they're trying to get them to do a certain thing, it it just becomes manipulation. And manipulation is never love. God will not manipulate you into a loving relationship with him. And the only way that that works is if he actually allows you to walk away from him and actually allows us to walk away from him. This is why, right, destruction was brought upon the people of Israel. Not because God was particularly out of sorts, but because they rejected the divine connection. I think about us, right, and this is, there's kind of this interesting dynamic that we're going to be talking about tonight. Because right? we have these judgment stories that end in death. They're like, and they rejected and rejected, and the earth swallowed up and consumed them. And you're like, holy moly, okay. You're like checking the ground, right? So that doesn't often happen. It, does, it happens in some senses, right, where the Lord releases us, and sometimes our actions do result in death, physical death and spiritual death. But I do think that there are elements where the Lord allows us to feel the sting of this. And if you're breathing in this room, when the Lord allows you to feel the sting of this, it's because he is disciplining you into a fresh life. I think about um, this moment for me. Um, I was a sophomore here, and I was like, I was like a quiet, naughty, bad kid. Like, 
Like, you would look at me and be like, oh, like, Josh is so sweet. And then I would go and, like, tear your, like, your yard up. And I, it was just, it was bad. So there was this one English teacher, and she was, like, 22. And I was, like, 17, and I was like, oh, you're easy pickings. This is great. And for whatever reason, like, we were, so we were outside in these modular buildings. And I, <laughs> this is so weird. I found this, like, little tube of lip gloss outside. And I was like, you know what would be funny? If I took this lip gloss and I smeared it all over the inside and outside of her door handle. <laughs> but I did, and I did it. And um, she, like the next day, I was kind of like, did you see the lip gloss? And she's like, I did. You got it on my hand. It's very funny. And she cleans it up. And then I go out and I'm like, you know what's funny? I still have more lip gloss. And so I smear it on, and I'm, like, always the person who takes a joke, like, one step too far, honestly. And then I feel really bad about it. You can ask Ellie. And this literally, gosh, man, it happened, like, four or five times, like, literally day after day after day after day. And then I was sitting in a different class, and, like, did any of your schools have a loudspeaker system where you could, like, talk to people? It's, like, clicks on, and then they say, hey, can you send Josh to the office, please? And it's that moment where you're, like, oh, no. And you start thinking about all the things that you did and that, like, you probably shouldn't have done. And I was like, yep, I know what this one's for. And then they bring me in. They sit me down in front of the principal. And I, I come to find out that from the very first time I put lip gloss on this woman's door handle, that she was in such an emotional state that she left the school weeping. And by the fifth time, she was sitting in the principal's office saying, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And so my principal looks me in the eye and he says, you got to stop or you're done. Like, and it's like this moment, right, where I'm like, the consequences of my actions are catching up with me. Lord, have mercy on me. And I, I did well. I made it right. I went to her, and I apologized, and it was fine. I didn't get suspended. That was great, right? But it was a moment where the Lord allowed me to feel a little bit of the sting. Can you, rec like, can you, can you relate with this a little bit? Right, a moment where you make a mistake or where you're choosing away from what the Lord is asking you to do, and he lets you feel the weight of it. The response for us is to stay tender. And is to allow those moments to drive us into repentance. It's the Lord's judgment to release us to experience the consequences of our actions. Point number one. Number two, the Lord's judgment restrains against dealing further corruption and death. The Lord's judgment stops death from happening. It's like God at some point in his judgment says no more. Enough is enough. This is as far as it goes. If you look at that second narrative in that, that Jude uses, I'll read it again. It says, And the angels who do not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he's kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. What in the world is going on here? Jude was a Jew. Jude was deeply ingrained in the narratives and the stories of his day. And what he's referencing here in this moment is an obscure text, obscure-ish in uh, Genesis chapter 6. And what we see in Genesis chapter 6 is that we have the divine sons of God, these angelic creatures who have been given uh, stewardship over different portions of the earth. It says that they look at the earth and they see that the daughters of men were beautiful. And so the angels leave their position and they come down to earth and they have sex with these human women and they create offspring. And some of you are like, this is really weird. Bear with me, right? So they create offspring and these offspring are giants. They're half human, half spiritual entities that end up in the biblical narrative um, bringing destruction upon the earth. It talks about these men of renown, and it talks about the blood that filled the earth. And if you keep tracking with the flow of the narrative, you have a moment where God looks at the earth, and he says, I regret what I've done. 
And that's the moment where he brings the flood. Right? We all know the, the story of Noah and the ark and the flood. If you track through the narrative, the flood is a direct result of an angelic rebellion that brought death and destruction uh, to the earth. Some of us tonight, we walk in here and we have assumptions that our sin and the things that we do when we miss the mark is only as consequential as I can see. Right? Like if I'm in my room looking at pornography, it's only consequential from what it just affects me. We forget that on the other end of the screen is a person made in the image of God. Right? We walk in here, and Pastor Eddie, a couple weeks ago, he talked about this, this habitual thing of lying in us. Right? And we say that this, only, this is only a problem so much as it affects me. And if I can kind of blur the edges and blur the lines and blur the truth to get what I want out of someone in a particular moment, we're good. We forget that sin, the natural consequence of sin, it actually is death and that we sometimes create giants with our sin that literally wreak havoc upon those that we love and havoc upon our own souls. Sin has consequences. And the point of this is that sometimes it's the Lord's judgment and the Lord's mercy through it to put a stop to this. And to put a stop to our sin and to put a stop to the death that is coming. Um, if you read the flood narrative, it's fascinating. Um, there's a moment where um, God is looking at the earth. And I know for me, when I think about the flood and I think about, okay, God saved Noah. And then like all these other people drowned, right? Like, and, I, and I'm trying to flesh out like an emotional um, like backstory to this because scripture doesn't always tell us. I, in, in my head, I'd be like, okay, destruction, flood, drowning, anger, right? Wrath, like this needs to end, right? Like the, like the fire, that's not what we see. It says that God looked and that he felt deep sadness. It says that he regretted the emotion of God. Hear the tone of judgment in this. It's not anger. It's not this fiery flame, but it's actually a, a, a sadness for what has happened. And it's a love to stop anything else from happening. At the end of the day and at the end of the story, there is going to be no more sin and death in this world, in part because God, in his loving judgment, has decided that enough will be enough, and Jesus himself will come and will reign and rule over the earth itself. I remember, um, this was May 2005, I was, I was nine years old, and there was like one of the most pivotal moments of my childhood that happened in May 2005, and I was so excited for it, this particular movie to come out in theaters, and I was like, yes, I'm so excited, and I go, and I'm in theaters, and it's one of my first PG-13 movies in theaters, and so I'm like stoked about it, and I've got my popcorn, and the, the series of this movie, right, it's like a war movie. And in the movie, right, there's kind of two main characters, and they're, they're like waging war against this large like conspiracy, and they're going through the movie, and like they have this really close relationship, right? One is kind of an older guy, one is a younger guy. They're like brothers, they've grown up together, they're like, they're like tight, they're tight. And in the course of the movie, right, you start seeing it early on, like there's this like sort of drifting in the younger man towards giving in to fear towards giving in to anxiety and giving in to anger and wrath and in jealousy. And kind of in the culminating moment of this story, Anakin Skywalker turns to the dark side and he ends up killing younglings, 
And I'm watching this happening and my heart is breaking. And I knew this was going to happen all along. But to watch it in IMAX in front of me, it broke my heart, right? But in the culmination of this story, you have Anakin's older friend, his master, for those of you who aren't Star Wars fans, named Obi-Wan Kenobi. And there's this moment of choice for Obi-Wan, right, where he's confronted with the evidence of what his friend has done, and he has a choice. He can either leave and let his friend go, or he can step in and act. And the moment, and the movie culminates with him flying to this flame planet, and they have this epic showdown and duel, right? And they're like, like going back and forth, and they're like, you were my brother, and it's so epic, and nine-year-old Josh is so deeply moved. And there's this moment where Obi-Wan deals what he thinks is the death stroke, and Anakin is lying there on the ground, like supposedly dying out. And it's this tender moment where Obi-Wan looks at him, with deep regret, but also deep love in his eyes. And then he walks away from his friend. It's we see this moment and this moment of choice, right, where Obi-Wan has the choice, what is the right move? What is love in this moment? And he decides that it's actually to end his best friend in order to restrain him right, from what would happen later on. And now those of us who know the story know that he doesn't kill Anakin, which he probably just should have killed Anakin, and it's a whole deal, right? But anyways, it's a good example of what happens sometimes that, um, if you want to throw this next thing on the screen, is that love looks like restraint because God doesn't just love you. God is in love with the world that he crafted, you included, but also those who are around you. And so my question and even invitation is, um, does your sin take advantage of other people? Do you find yourself using others when your unrepentant sin leads you to use and abuse those around you as objects? That's the moment when you're at risk of experiencing the loving judgment of the Lord to restrain to restrain you. And this kind of judgment, it drives us to live in something called the fear of the Lord. Now, this is just getting really practical here. Proverbs 9.10 says this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. When we see, okay, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This word wisdom, it just means life well lived. If you're a wise person, it means you know how to live well in the good world that God has made. The fear of the Lord is the weighty revelation that the eternal creator has gifted us with the ability to influence and act in his creation. And that one day we will account for our stewardship of this gift. We live well when we remember that we live our lives accountable. Your life is not your own. The actions that you take, even in the secret place of your own mind and of your own heart, are lived before the Lord. I remember, this was a number of years ago at this point, I was just like really in like a a sin wrestle, right? If you've been there, where there's something that you're just like, I've just got to get over this and I have to like overcome this, but it's just like the thorn in your flesh for a season. And I was walking well, I was wrestling well, right, with community and with mentors and I I I was in it, I was in the thick of it. And I remember this one moment where one of my just like spiritual dads looked at me and he said, Josh, you need to arm yourself with scriptures. 
Like in the moment where you're in the wrestle, you need to have resources and tools. And so I opened up the Bible and I asked the Lord to give me some resources. And this is what he gave me. This is Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all of his paths. A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all of his paths. And I put this and I hid it inside of my heart. And then in the moment of struggle, I'd be like, the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. My ways are before the eyes of the Lord. You know my paths. You know how I got here. You know the end of this. This is lived well before your eyes. The ways of man are before the Lord. A man lives his ways before the eyes of the Lord. And I just, I just I like muttered it and I chewed on it. And it became like this rallying cry for freedom in my life because it imposed, and not even imposed, but it just opened my eyes up to the accountability that I would live my life in. It just like made me look up and be like, oh, good God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I live my life before you. A life lived well is a life lived accountable. The judgment of the Lord drives us to live in the fear of the Lord, which leads us to live well. And then this kind of creates a question in us, right? How do we reconcile um, a loving God and the fear of the Lord. Like what, how do we do this? Because like, I read 1 John 4, right? And there's moments where I, you read and it says, okay, God is love, the love of God, Jesus pouring out his life. It says, there is no fear in love. It says, because fear has to do with punishment. And so how do we reconcile, right? Okay, so I'm not supposed to have fear of punishment, but I am supposed to live with a sense of fear of the Lord. How do I do this? Well, here's what I would say to you. There's two kinds of fear in this world. When you have a fear of a, malicious, uh, of a malicious despotic action against you, of punishment out of malice, that's, that's the fear that 1 John 4 is talking about. Fear that makes you flee from the one is the fear that we're not encouraged to have with the Lord, but a fear that drives you into the arms of the one that you are accountable to because you know that they love you and are for you is the fear of the Lord. I think about another C.S. Lewis example. Um, he wrote this book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Any fans? Yes, right? And there's kind of two main, sort of like the main protagonist, the main antagonist. You can kind of argue about who that is. But like ultimately it's Aslan, who is this lion, Jesus figure, and the white witch. And both of these characters in the story, they, uh, they, they induce fear and different kinds of fear into people, right? The white witch, like, she's cruising on her, uh, on her sleigh, and she rolls up to a little Christmas party with these little animals, and out of rage, right, she's like, stone, 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 and they're afraid of her. They're terrified of her, right, because of the malicious way that she's bringing judgment upon them. But then Aslan, there's this moment, right, where the, the children are talking to the beaver, and they're like, it's, it's like classic. I feel like this is like sermon, sermoning 101, right? It's like they're asking, okay, well, is he, is he safe He's like, well, no, he's not safe, but he's, but he's good, right? And so Aslan is something that it, he intrigues. He pulls in because he's so incredibly loving. But Aslan has both the authority and the ability to hold you accountable. The fear of the Lord is living, knowing that God has both the authority and the ability to hold us accountable. And when we embrace it, we live life well. Because Jesus also loves us and inhabits us. Uh, which leads me to um, our third and our final point here tonight. If you guys want to come on up, give me a little acoustic here in a sec. The Lord's judgment recreates. The Lord's judgment recreates. All right, so let's go on this flow. 
the Lord's judgment releases, the Lord's judgment restrains, and then the Lord's judgment recreates. If you have been around this house um, for any number of time, you'll probably have heard some of the stories uh, of what happened, um, kind of this scandal that hit our community a number of years ago with one of our leaders here. Right, so New Life was a church born in prayer that grew rapidly. It was like grace to grace, glory to glory. Like our pastors were literally sitting in the White House advising presidents. And it was this moment we looked around and we're like, the world is our oyster. What is next? Right, so much money and people and all these things coming in until one day this story hits the news, right, that our lead pastor had been um, having secret hidden sin that he couldn't keep secret and hidden anymore. And the entire church just, it just erupted, right? It was a moment um, of tragedy. People were hurt. People left the faith. People ended up, um, it, was, it was devastation for a little bit. It was a moment of both the Lord's release to the consequences of the actions because hidden actions don't stay hidden. And secret sin doesn't stay secret. And our sin creates giants of destruction in other people's lives. And it was a moment where those giants were just like storming through our, our church. Like we were experiencing the destruction that came from sin, right? The Lord released to experience the consequence. But the Lord also restrained. He said, no more, right? No more. We're not going to let this continue to happen. But then if you stayed around our community for these last 15, 16 years, you see a church that at one point was winnowed down, even asking, are we going to keep the doors open, right? Now to a community that says we value health in the kingdom of God and an open and honest relationship with Jesus. That it, just like, it, was like the, um, it was like the fire that just like blazed through our community, right? But that like opened up those pine cones with the seeds inside of them. And now new life, we're not perfect, right? There's, there's mess, y'all, because people are messy, but we're, we're a community that says we will walk faithfully before the Lord our God all the days of our life. The Lord recreated us. Praise God. Thank you for the Lord's judgment. His judgment recreates. Because if you look even at those narratives that we talked about, right, the Lord brought the people of Israel into the land purified. The entire generation who'd lived in Egypt were dead. And then a new generation who knew nothing but faith in the hope of God came into the promised land. If you look at the flood, right? God brought the flood, washed the earth clean. He cleansed the earth of the blood that had been spilled upon it. And he restarted with Noah, a man who was righteous and walked in the fear of the Lord. The judgment of the Lord recreates us. And this is essential in order for judgment to be love. Because if judgment is just destruction, then I'd say that judgment is rarely love. But if judgment rebuilds and recrafts and reshapes us, how can it not be love? This is the love of God. The judgment of the Lord is the love of the Lord for us because the ultimate picture of God's judgment is this. Right, is the king of glory strung out on a cross, bleeding out naked, taking his last breath, suffering the consequences of our actions. It's that the Lord released Jesus to experience the consequences of your sin. And that the Lord, through the cross, 
He restrained the powers of sin and death. You read Colossians chapter 3, and it says that God took our sin and he nailed it to the cross, making fools of principalities and powers and these dark spiritual forces of sin and death. God made fools of them on the cross and said, no more. My broken body and my blood that's poured out says, no, no more. No more. And on the cross of Jesus Christ, our entire world gets recrafted. He recreates us brand new, right? It's like Paul says, if you are in Christ, new creation, brand new start. And now we as followers of Jesus look forward in hope that Jesus is gonna come back and he's not just going to recraft us and our hearts and our communities, but he's gonna recraft the world out there. That God is reassembling the world underneath the rule and reign of King Jesus, who doesn't wield his authority like the white witch, but who wields his authority to empower and love and raise up. And so for us tonight, there is this invitation when we look and see the judgment of God. There is an invitation, right, into the fear of the Lord and sober living. Live well, friends. What you do matters. The way we live, it matters. But then there is this further invitation that says, it does not matter what you have done or where you have been. Come to the cross of Jesus that bore the consequence of judgment for you. Be recreated again in the image and in the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's the invitation for us tonight. So even as we come to a close, um, I want to invite you to stand your feet. Yeah, if you want to look under your seat, there, is, there are communion elements under there. Jace, would you pass me one? I didn't, I didn't come ready. Thanks, brother. We're going to finish tonight coming to the table of the Lord for the reason that our entire lives are Jesus. Jesus is the love of the Father. He is the one who brings the judgment of God, and he is the one who recreates and recrafts the world in his image. And we're Jesus people. If you're new to the family of faith or maybe haven't experienced this before, this is something that we do as, uh, as family, as a family of God. And so if you're in this room and you can say, I've put my full trust, my whole heart, my whole hope in King Jesus, I'm gonna invite you to the table. If you haven't made that decision, I love that you're here, but I'm gonna ask you not to join us for this moment. Because what this is, is this is a family dinner where we come and we celebrate the kindness that Jesus has shown us. We remember the cross, but we also receive again and anew the life-giving power of Jesus. So if you wanna go ahead and open that, that little wafer for me. Gracious, that's tricky. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, as he took the bread and he broke it, he said that this is my body, which is broken for you. He says, this is the consequence of your sin. This is the judgment of the Lord poured out, not upon your flesh and upon your body, but upon my flesh and upon my body for your sake. He said, do this in remembrance of me. You may take the bread, friends.
then after the bread, he took the cup and he poured it. And he said, this is my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. What do we do when we find ourselves broken humans having violated the, the law of the Lord? When our sin has brought destruction in our own lives and in the lives of others, we run to the cross of Jesus. And we receive the forgiveness of the Lord again. You may drink your forgiveness, friends. And so, Jesus, we give you our honor, our praise, our attention, and our affection. We say glory be to the King. Unto the Lamb be blessing and honor and dominion and power forever and ever. Amen. And Lord, we say thank you for your judgment, for the reason that your judgment is your love and everything you do, Lord, even when it destroys parts of me, it's always for my good. Thank you, Jesus. Keep doing it. Keep going. Lord, we want to be a community that says yes to the discipline of God to the action of the Lord to recreate, Lord. And in order to recreate, sometimes you need to remove. In John 15, the Father is the vine dresser who prunes, right? He takes away things that are not fruitful. King Jesus, look down from heaven and see us as a community that welcomes your pruning, that welcomes your transformation. We say yes to you tonight. We love you, Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, all of young adults, amen and amen.